You're listening to a Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast. Hi, I'm Emily Littlejohn, a general paediatrician, and today I'm speaking with Bridget Jordan, who's an Associate Professor of Social Work at the Royal Children's Hospital. This is the second in a series of four podcasts on infant mental health. Welcome, Bridget. Thank you, Emily. And what is the topic for today's podcast? So today we're going to discuss crying and sleep behaviour in babies, uh, both usual behaviour and problems in those behaviours. Okay, so so why is this an important topic? I guess the focus of this um, infant mental health series is about babies and young children in hospital. And we know that very few infants with persisting crying actually have a medical problem, so... Uh, So uh, the reason for talking about this today is you will remember if you've listened to podcast one that we talked about how babies in hospital are multitasking. Mm -hmm. They're learning what babies in the community need to learn about emotional and behavioural regulation as well as doing physical recovery. And this process can get very muddled by an unreliable body or fatigue or uh, medications impacting on perception of their body and perception of their environment and perception of care, Mm. um, the impingements of medical procedures. So I think there are a whole lot of things that can impact on the baby when the baby's in hospital. And parents are less able to do the kind of moment-to-moment scaffolding that parents can do at home in the community that supports being able to modulate these behaviours like crying, feeding, sleeping. Mm. So that's the first reason. You know, it's an important topic for babies' emotional life and the foundations of their emotional development. And we need to not ignore it just because babies are in hospital Mm. recovering from something um, seriously medical. Secondly, there's very little about this in health professionals' qualifying degrees. And so uh, people feel stumped then when parents expect these experts in children's health yes. to know about this stuff and uh, people haven't been taught. It. So <laughs> that's, that's the second right. reason. Absolutely. And the third reason is that I've done research on two different cohorts of babies who had cardiac surgery. And when those babies are discharged home, they tend to have quite high rates of crying and feeding problems, crying and sleeping problems feeding problems as well, but that's a bit more complicated. Um, And so I think that while the babies are in hospital multitasking, we could do more to help them uh, and help prevent those problems. Mm, Right. So high rates of crying, you know, after being in hospital is likely to significantly impact the family. Can you tell us a bit more about that research? Yes. So uh, we surveyed mothers of babies who had surgery, cardiac surgery in the first six months of life. Mm -hmm. Um, And the mean age of the babies by this time was um, four and a half months, which is when babies are usually well beyond those early crying kind of problems. Right. Uh, a third of the babies had excessive crying, 40% had nighttime sleeping problems, uh, a third, more than a third of the mothers had found it very difficult to establish a routine with the babies while they're in hospital, and a quarter of the babies had ongoing feeding problems. And so mm. I think just imagine you're a parent, your babies had cardiac surgery, worried about will they live or die, will the surgery be successful, and then you come home and um, you've got a three-month-old baby and then you have to face all these problems that other mm. parents in the community deal with when the baby's, you know, two, three, four, five, six weeks of 
age. Mm, so lots of stress there. So so how do those rates that you just mentioned, how does that compare to babies in the community that, that haven't had surgery? Yeah, so all babies cry. Um, crying is a normal behaviour. Um, it's a way that uh, babies can communicate with their parents. We mentioned uh, first podcast, I think, that it's an attachment behaviour. And um, crying, usually babies start to cry a bit more in the first three weeks of life. The mm. total daily amount of crying usually peaks by about six weeks and in Western advanced capitalist societies, it's round about two and three quarter hour in, hours in a 24-hour period and then it tapers off by about three months of age for most babies. Um, and this is referred to as the normal crying curve. It's the usual developmental pattern of crying. Mm. It's the same pattern in all cultures, though the amount that the baby cries will vary depending on the caregiving practices. So right. it tends to be that cultures that have more proximal caregiving, so babies are held in a sling all day, that kind of thing, um, that they will cry much less. Uh, but they still have the pattern and um, there's still a proportion of babies in even in those uh, cultures that have unsuitable crying. Right, okay. So how, how does the, that unsoothable crying, how does that relate to the concept of colic, which we hear a lot about? So colic's the word. Yeah. <laughs> it implies a gastrointestinal cause, but in fact, you know, over many decades consistently, uh, research has found that less, te- less than 10% of babies who cry persistently, have unsoothable crying, have any medical cause. So medical mm. causes are rare. Um, these babies who cry a lot and cry persistently, they don't have silent reflux or any of the multiple other hypothesised ailments. So not a helpful term often, colic, is no, it? No, I don't no. think so. So then why do babies cry? So it's a normal behaviour. Um, it's a communication to the parents. And really the baby is saying something is not right. We're often not sure what the something is. Mm. Um, and uh, but something does not feel right to the baby and so the baby is expressing that Uh, it has an evolutionary function crying it's an detachment behavior it keeps Mm. the caregiver close by able to respond but also uh, like if you think about like crying is one way that a baby could tell their parent if they were very sick Mm. so you Mm. know it's important to kind of respond to crying um uh beyond the age of three months so you know we tend to sort of think of it as benign though I do think that some parent-child relationships can get derailed by persistent crying it can be very Mm, stressful for parents absolutely I think it can be stressful for the baby Mm. you know um like if you're crying most of the day and particularly if you've got feeding crying sleeping all muddled up then that's not a very happy experience for the baby no and they could kind of miss out a bit on social learning as part of that as well beyond the if the baby continues to cry continues to be unsuitable beyond three months of age and has feeding and sleeping problems then we have found a link with later mental health problems right and i think that might relate to two things I think maybe these are babies who were always going to have very wobbly uh, emotional and behavioural regulation, Mm -hmm. and they are sort of waving a flag early. I have been born wobbly. (laughs) I'm not quite right. Right. Um, Or 
Um, secondly, and that's the continuity with later mental health problems, you know. Right. They were kind of yep. born with this vulnerability and they're saying, I'm not quite right, I need more help, more scaffolding. Mm. Secondly, it could be that the stress of the crying kind of derails the parent-child relationship and then you get those kind of secondary causal chains for mm, emotional flow on problems from that. that flow on from that. Yep. Um, so I think, uh, you know, you can overrate reassurance. Reassurance is a really very effective intervention. Um, I think parents who are concerned about their baby's crying should always be listened to, taken seriously. And it's helpful to check for medical causes, but to sort of point out to the parent what you're doing while you're checking, because that's what's going to reassure them. And it's... And like people sometimes, uh, poor mothers, I've had so many mothers say to me, um, and I do my best not to be anxious. You know, people have told yes. me that the baby can almost catch my anxiety. Yeah. And I say, well, anxiety is not a contagious disease. Right. <laughs> Even though, of course, a baby can notice the parent's anxiety. Uh, but I think what's a much more helpful framework is to think about it's very hard as a mother to reassure your baby that they're okay if you're actually not convinced they're okay. That's true. So if you're feeling anxious and your baby's crying, you pick up your baby and you look at your baby and you think, oh dear, what's wrong with you? Are you all right? Should I take you to the doctor? Think about what the baby's going to see in your face, Mm. which is, oh, things are not good, things are not right, Mm. or I can't be sure. And that's quite different from a mother who's feeling quite confident, not worried about anything being wrong with the baby. She picks up the baby and she says, oh dear, you're upset again, I'll give you a cuddle. And what the baby sees in the mother's face is calmness, Mm. confidence, empathy, so it's quite a different experience. So I think that's how parental anxiety is important. Mm. But I think that's a much more helpful framework for talking about it rather than mothers must not get anxious. Yeah, absolutely. And so I guess what we can focus on as health professionals is, is you know, really reassuring that mother by, you know, doing a full check of the baby yes. and yeah. um, being very, um, you know, obvious about that. And thorough and, and, thorough. and, and sort yep. of systematic. Yeah. 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 And so what about the impact of, of sleep on babies? So are some of these babies crying because they're overtired? Well, not always. So mm. some of them are because they've lost the plot. They mm. don't know, the, they have no idea that actually they're hungry and a feed's going to fix that or that they are tired and they need to sleep. So that's the story for some babies. Mm. But then there are other babies who are crying because the grown-ups are obsessing about them getting enough sleep. Right. So sometimes we think about this um, relationship between crying and sleep in far too concrete a way. So parents might be, so the baby has an afternoon nap and they wake up after, I don't know, 30 minutes or something and the parents pat them for the next 50 minutes to try and get another sleep cycle, Mm. the sacred sleep cycle, out of them. When really the better thing to do would have been put the baby in the pram and go for a walk Mm. rather than, you know, get this kind of escalating cycle of lack of success where everybody's obsessing about sleeping. So you kind of need to take a step back and think about, well, how much is the... um, baby sleeping is it enough in the day for this baby and sometimes when parents kind of get on a campaign to help the baby learn to sleep they miss the fact that now the baby's actually seven or eight weeks old and the baby's Mm. saying I'm awake I want chats and the parents think oh you haven't had enough sleep you're overtired and you can see how that's a recipe for disaster because the baby just wants to play absolutely interact and the poor parents like they're not getting enough sleep I have to make them sleep so that's a really key point, you know, for for this baby. So, you know, every baby's going to be different with what sleep, sleep requirements they have. 
That's a really important point. There can be quite a lot of variation. So the Centre for Community Child Health here at the Children's Hospital did some fascinating research where they looked at the sleep data on 5,000 children enrolled in the LSAC study and the children were aged between four months and nine years and they found that the age of four to six months, babies had an average of 14 hours of sleep in a 24-hour period. However, what they also found was that that um, amount of daily sleep actually ranged from 10 hours to 18. So mm. 14 was the average, but that's an eight-hour gap between the kind of baby who needed or had less, less sleep and the one who had the most sleep. Mm. So average is not a prescription. Mm. Like it's an average. That's all it is. It's not a kind of requirement. So these babies only needing 10 hours sleep if we're constantly trying to get them back to sleep. They're, you know, they're missing out on what they want to be doing in terms yes, of yes. interacting. Yes, yes. You can see how that could get very frustrating all around. Absolutely. So I guess getting back to the, the research we talked about earlier, why do you think there were so many nighttime sleep problems in the babies who had cardiac surgery? Yes, that's a, an interesting question because, in fact, um, all babies wake overnight. So there's been research uh, where babies' nurseries have been set up with infrared cameras and they've found all babies wake the same amount of times mm-hmm. overnight. Right. But the difference is some babies signal. So some babies wake up, go off to sleep themselves. Other babies say, Mom, Dad, I need mm. you. And so um, I think sleep is about separation. So to be able to go to sleep, you have to be confident that the world's going to be the same in the morning right. and that, yeah. you know, your peoples are still going to be around in the morning. So if there's anything that makes you anxious, then it's going to be harder to sleep. I mean, we all know that as grown-ups. Mm, there's no reason definitely. why that wouldn't be true for babies and young children. So uh, babies have been in hospital, I think, have well-warranted worries about uh, pain, about the possibility of procedures, about the possibility of parents disappearing. Mm. So they just might need more scaffolding and more reassurance. Um, But also if the parents remain worried, it might be harder for them to reassure the baby that they're okay, the world's going to stay the same, they can get themselves back to sleep Mm. and sleep right through the night. The whole environment might just be a bit more anxious about everybody's welfare. So then you need, this is why attachment is good and this is what we've evolved to do, then you need to kind of connect with your grown-up to get reassured that the world is okay and then go back to sleep. And it's also important to remember, particularly for babies who've been very unwell or babies in hospital, that one way of coping with all those stresses that I mentioned before about being in hospital is just go to sleep, just mm-hmm. shut it out and go to sleep. So at one level, that's very adaptive, mm-hmm. but it might be not be adaptive if you keep it up and if you do so much of it that you're actually missing out on the chance of everyday interactions, learning, you know, play, mm. um, connecting with other family members. Absolutely. So there's such a thing as too much sleep mm. as well as not enough as sleep. As well as not enough. Okay. So it sounds like then that, you know, it might be important to warn these parents that when babies are being discharged from hospital that, you know, their baby might have crying and sleeping problems after they go home. Well, maybe not yeah. because <laughs> I think um, parents taking a baby home after um, – after surgery and being in hospital and, uh, you know, having a very serious medical condition, they probably do not need one more thing to worry about. Mm. So that is what would kind of make me hesitate about that. Um, 
I, I'm not saying don't, but I'm saying just mm. think about the words you would use. Right. So it might be important to talk about something like this can be a big transition for the baby. I don't know how confident you felt in the routine your baby was able to get here. If it was less than you would have liked, it might be a bit harder for them at home. That might be a bit of an adjustment period. Mm. You did flagging in those terms rather than we know that 30% of the babies will have cry problems. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. that would be the last thing you would need to hear. That's true. Um, but I would rather that we uh, focus on what can we do in hospital to prevent these problems once they get home. Absolutely. So is there anything else we can do in, in hospital? Yes, so Podcast One talked about quite a few things, but mm-hmm. also another excellent resource is Cocoon. And Cocoon is an app that was developed uh, for parents, but everybody's got access to it, all hospital staff. Um, and uh, it was developed by Dr. Lee Hickey and uh, the medical nursing and allied health team on uh, NICU, but it is available to anyone in the hospital. And um, Cocoon stands for Circle of Care Optimising Outcomes for Newborns and they've got information, there's information on that about a wide range of things that are really helpful in this context. Okay, all right. And tell us a bit more about that. Has it got some sort of information on the different behavioural states and things of of infants? Yes, I think that's actually particularly useful. So they kind of outline, and I think this would be really useful for parents, um, babies' different awake and asleep states. And so there are a number of those. So deep sleep is probably what we can all easily recognise because the baby's not disturbed by noise, the regular breathing, they're not moving, they look asleep, mm-hmm. and that's very important sleep. And then there's active sleep, which is a lighter sleep. It's where the babies have rapid eye movements, their breathing's a bit faster, and you see more activity, like they might be twitching their mouth, they're smiling a bit, they're kind of whimpering a bit. Um And babies do actually spend more time in this sleep rather than deep sleep. Mm -hmm. And it's really important for um, neuronal connections, for brain cells kind of connecting. But I think this is the kind of sleep that can be really uh, confusing for parents Mm. because when they see the baby twitching and moving around, then they could get quite alarmed because it doesn't look like sleep as we understand sleep. Right. And so parents might think that the baby's in pain or that they're um, uh, indicators, Mm. that, that there's something wrong medically. Um, and so that might be uh, a time, particularly in hospital, but maybe a time too when they get quite alarmed. Mm, which um, could be quite distressing for them. And I guess, yeah. you know, they're often sitting there looking at the baby in that state, whereas if they were yes, at home, they wouldn't yeah. necessarily be, be watching No, that. they'd be doing the washing up while the baby has to Yeah, sleep, absolutely. Yeah. So how can we, you know, help parents through that? Well, I, th- I think it's back to what we were talking before about... Um, Listening to exactly what the parent's concern is, what have they observed, because it might be important mm. medical information, you know, they might actually have noticed something that needs medical attention. Assessing and then assessing the baby, but talking through with the parent what behaviours you're looking at or what it is that you're noticing about the ba- baby that would make you more concerned or be reassured, mm. because then that will develop their observational skills and help them to be able to discriminate when they need to be worried and not be worried. Right, okay. Okay, so we've got the deep sleep and and the active sleep state. Is there any other behavioural states? Yeah, well, there's kind of the in-between, the drowsy state, you know, half Mm -hmm. awake, half asleep. Mm -hmm. Um, And some babies will wake up and some babies will go to sleep. So Mm -hmm. that's probably quite recognisable. And then there's two awake states. And so there's quiet awake. When the baby's quiet, they're paying attention. You know, sometimes you see babies wake and they're just looking around, Mm. you know, taking in the world, quite happy. Um, Their eyes are kind of bright. They look relaxed, their face looks relaxed. 
Um, and that's a great time for interaction and right. learning. Okay. Um, because there's sort of uh, nothing nothing else. The, the baby's not having to manage their insides or, you know, manage anything mm. else. They're kind of just ooh, ready for chats kind of. Um, so we should be telling parents about that state and encouraging them I think so, them to, yeah, and so this is a really yeah. good time. And this is maybe when you could um, uh, not treat the baby with so much cotton wool in a way, mm. you know, because mm. the baby's in a slightly more robust state. Right. So they can take a bit more. might not matter if the toddler's got their face right up close to them at that yeah. point in time, whereas it might matter um, at another point in time. Then uh, there's active awake state where you notice more physical activity, more movement. The baby might be a bit fuzzy, a bit grisly. They're sort of saying, oh, I need to change gear here. It's often mm. what baby, babies on a play mat might do after a while. Right. You know, you hear yeah. them kind of grizzle. And, and they just want to change in position or something like that. Um, and you know, this is all easy for parents who are at home 24-7 to kind of recognise because they're seeing the baby so closely. Mm. But it can be hard if they're not here 24-7. Um, uh, or if they're, um, you know, very distressed, it can be very hard. So I, th- I think the Cocoon app is really good because it's got nice photos and it's got very simple text. So directing parents to that I think would be really helpful. Fabulous. Okay. And any, any other good resources that you could suggest? Yeah, I think the um, Royal Children's Hospital Kids Health Info Fact Sheet on crying and unsettled babies is really good. Good for us, but also good for parents. And... Um, it has some suggestions about what to do to um, help the baby, but also goes through some of these concepts that we've been talking about to help parents understand babies crying um, and how babies organise their emotions and their behaviours. Okay. Well, thank you, Bridget, for today. Um, so look, what I've taken away from this discussion um, is that it's really important to refer back to what we know about crying and sleep behaviours in healthy babies when we're thinking about how these behaviours are affected when in babies who are sick. Um, And we know that it might be harder for babies to sleep whilst in hospital um, because of so many restrictions and disruptions. So there may be a period of time after discharge where they might not feel feel safe to go to sleep and they might have more sleep and crying issues. And that the more support that we can give parents to be with their baby in hospital, then the more confident the parents will be in knowing how to help their baby organise those emotions and behaviours. And this will, you know, hopefully lead to less crying and sleep problems when they go home. So lots of good good information and, and tips there. Thank you, Bridget. Thanks, Emily. Thanks for listening. Please view the description section below for more information on this topic. The Education Hub is a collaboration between the Royal Children's Hospital and the University of Melbourne Department of Paediatrics and funded by the RCH Foundation.